G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast Round 11 Review Edition. We are uh, officially at the midway point of the season and officially into winter. And doesn't it feel like it? Cold and wet out there on this Sunday evening. But Round 11 has wrapped up and uh, we have a, not a tear away leader at the top of the ladder, but Geelong, the Cats flying, 10 wins just the one loss and two games clear of three sides all back on eight wins and three losses. And uh, the Cats just getting the job done. A couple of other, uh, a couple of those other contenders, though, uh, a little bit wobbly, um, including uh, the Tigers. We'll talk about them, of course. Uh, we've got a lot to wrap up in this review edition, as I say. Very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. G'day, Rowan. How are you? Big thank you to all our podcast listeners, followers. We continue to grow, and we grow with the great support of Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park, a beautiful burger. And burgers have always been winter food for me. I know people like them going to the beach, etc. Comfort food. I love a big burger and a cold nut. And you can get that at Andrew's 80 years. They celebrate this year. And they are pretty well accepted as the best burger. You know, they say the best burger in town. No, they're pretty much the best burger you can get in this country, they reckon. The softest of buns, the meatiest of patties, the freshest of vegetables. Thank you. And uh, don't forget Nick Spartels. He's a great fan of uh, the boys down at Andrews as well. And his company, Hardwick and Nick Spartels Build Co., doing great work in the inner city and people are always looking to add value to their houses in these times of not plummeting house prices but the house prices are dropping and the best way you can guard against that is a great reno and he's your man nick spartels and just before we get into the business of the show quick competition update oh well what a perfect day to remind people that our competition this week with the first prize being an andrews hamburgers limited edition t-shirt and cap is your wet weather football experiences either as a fan you know what even if it's as a player but remember the old suburban grounds or as a spectator a spectator something that really says it's pissing down and i reckon there's a few stories that tell that tale Get your entries in, email them to Footyology. The website uh, has the email contact details there. Our judges will uh, peruse them and we will announce the winner next Thursday. Do you remember when Princess Park, I reckon in the 90s, uh, was suffering with their playing surface and their practice wickets when it was really wet, sort of sunk a little bit? And they look like four or five, you know, you go to a trout farm and they have those sort of little... Pools, those long pools where you catch a trout in. Look like they had trout farms on their half-forward flag there for a while. Well, I, I saw that uh, we talked about on Thursday, that uh, famous game at Glenferry in 1964. I had a look at that. Boy, 
was there a bit of mud around that day? Those uh, 60s, 70s grounds, uh, unbeatable for mud value. Can you explain to somebody how Ron Barassi was on the mark and got kicked in the head by the guy kicking the ball? It was... Not really, no. In, in fact, I made a blue in that. I said that um, Hawthorne were the defending Premier. Of course, they weren't. Lost it they were in the grand final to yeah, Geelong. Geelong. Um, all right, quick, very quick word on round 11. What did you make of it? Some thrillers? Well, as we had from Friday night, well, what a way to start the round. Look, Richmond are obviously going to be a premiership contender when they get their team together, but their problem has been that every three or four weeks – with a side that on this occasion was um, probably had, had some guys back, but maybe not fully fit, they stumbled. So you got their stumble. I don't consider Collingwood's stumble anywhere near as... Um, in, in significant. Like, thank you. Significant in terms of later position. But Richmond just have to guard against not being in the top four. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that as we get into the wraparound. On Footyology... Wrap around. It all kicked off at Marvel Stadium Friday evening with North Melbourne. First game for caretaker coach Reece Shaw taking on the Tigers. And easy to be wise after the event, event finding. I, I just had a little bit of a hunch about this game. Of course, in typical fashion, I wasn't game to follow through on it with the tip. But uh, Richmond, they... They have had a few ordinary performances at Marvel, including earlier this season against the Bulldogs. And this was another one. But don't want to take anything away from the Roos. They were terrific from the word go. Uh, took a while for their dominance to be capitalised upon in scoreboard terms. But uh, terrific effort from them. And uh, their senior players stood up and so did some of their younger players. Um, really got ahead with uh, six goals to one in the third quarter and uh, ended up being uh, very comfortable winners. Uh, they, they really won it for me with their, their hardness at the contest. 13 more tackles, uh, 23 more contested possessions, and setting the way there, and I t- spoke of the younger players, Cameron Zerha, what a game from him. Didn't end up with many stats except for one very significant one, 10 tackles. And I think he had either five or six in the first quarter alone, Really set the tone. Jai Simkin, 14 contested possessions for him. Um, Robbie Tarrant uh, took the points uh, convincingly over Tom Lynch. And the Tigers, well, they got Trent Cochin back and he went okay. Uh, Dusty Martin played reasonably, three goals and, and 21 disposals. But North were, North were too good. You rarely see two Zeds in the best players of an <laughs> AFL club. Or in any side. Correct. I don't know whether we've had it. But Zeebel and Zerhar are... They're not Zeds. They're not sleeping. They're uh, both physical. And good to see Zebul back in the midfield. Don't, yeah. don't you think he belongs there? Yeah, it took a bit too long, I reckon. Richmond have an Achilles heel. It's now a fact. They, whether or not they've got their full team in or not, doesn't matter. They are susceptible to the tall marking forward. It knocked them out of uh, the running last year when Mason Cox came alive in the preliminary final. And it brought both fruit again. They're just a little bit down back. They're, they're not tall enough. And and the one word you have to say there is Rance. Yeah, but even when he plays, I don't know whether he's able to combat the real tall forwards. Now these oh, tall it helps, forwards, though, because if he plays, you don't have to play Garthwaite on Ben yeah, Brown. I understand. But he played in that preliminary final, yeah. and they lost it. I feel that that is an Achilles heel for them. Now... 
they can be problematic, the big tall forward, but Ben Brown with his long arms was a great target. Mm. Mason Wood is so important to that team when they he's not a front runner, but invariably if they're winning and scoring a decent score, which look, they almost scored a hundred points against Richmond. That's a very good score. Mm. Mason Wood is taking advantage of turnovers and, and overlaps. He's a, a, a good pulsating finisher. As for Richmond, well, you know what? Tom Lynch is not Jack Rewalt. He really isn't because he doesn't have the effort when the ball hits the ground. He's not that sort of player. Now, I know that with a small forward line, you say, well, as long as the ball's coming to ground, that's okay. But Rewalt would either take a mark or clear a path. I feel as though it's one effort for Tom Lynch. And the ball does get swept away more with him in the forward line than when Rewalt's there. Yeah, but also um, don't let their little men off the off the hook because you go back to 2017 and you had Castagna, Butler and Rioli and they were lethal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Castagna... Oh, Castagna's been okay. I think Butler just came back into the side. And Rioli got dropped. Um, they, they've got Higgins now who's part of it. But as a group, they haven't had the same sort of impact. Um, you mentioned uh, North's forward line and I feel like an important factor in this in terms of um, creating the uh, the height. I know, I know exactly who you're, the new kid. Nick Larkey. Yeah. yeah, so no, much better I, than when they started with Tom Campbell. Well, you could just see North struggling when Ben Brown was the only obvious target. And Larkey, I think, ever since he came into the side, I think he's really provided that and taken his share of marks and kicked goals. And it has this domino effect in that, like, Mason Wood then becomes more yeah, dangerous because they've got to well, spread gets, the responsibility. He gets... He gets off the leash a little bit as mm. tall forwards mm. prove to be a flame to which the moths tend to gather when goals are coming. Look, Jared White and Brown was a great yep. forward combination. Yeah. Larky's not Jared White, but no. he can certainly fill the uh, position. He can take he can take the spot that Jared White held and compete like Jared White. One day he might be as good a player. White was a great mark and good at finishing off. But Larky can do all of that, as you rightly point out, to make things familiar for Ben Brown. Familiar in a Coleman-winning sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a structural thing as much as a talent thing. Yeah, so, yeah, Larky is not weight, but uh, just having that height really helps. Um, I want to mention Ben Cunnington. Yeah. Because he is exactly the sort of footballer that I think gets over... Not overlooked. He's not in discussions when we talk about the best mids in the game and the trendsetters because he's not six foot three. He's not incredibly quick. But I tell you what, he is a he's an endurance machine. He's very good overhead. Mm. He's got a magnificently strong body, and I reckon he's got as good a football brain as any of the midfielders currently going around. And isn't that what? A Greg Williams traded on a football brain. Yeah, absolutely. Probably a difference, say, between him and a Williams. Williams was one of the absolute best handballers we've ever seen. I, I feel with Cunnington, he's not necessarily elite at any particular skill, but he's very good at a whole range of that's skills, right. and that's probably why he gets overlooked. For a side that everyone was wringing their hands about, they're not bad. I mean, they're two two games out of the eight, so I mean, they're going to struggle, but. Um, I don't think North's future is nearly as ordinary as some people are painting it. 
Not certainly not after you knock Richmond off in a very decisive manner. Early in the third quarter, it's a arm wrestle. Ten minutes later, and there's one winner. Yep, that was a good win for the Roos. Okay, let's move on to Saturday afternoon at the G. Well, how was this for an upset? The Dockers beating Collingwood at the MCG for the first time since 2006 when um, they made the preliminary final. Don't think they'd beaten them in Melbourne since oh, they bowled them over at Eddie had in the first game of the year, but even that was four or five years ago. Cracker of a game, and uh, neck and neck the whole game. Um, the Dockers had the better third quarter. Didn't put it on the scoreboard, though. 4-6, led by four points. Collingwood bobbed up and kicked the first two goals of the last quarter, finally, and I, I'm Here sure... Here we go. It, it looks so much like the Carlton St Kilda correct. game. It was so familiar. They were on the back foot in the third quarter, yet they were able to leave that quarter only less than a goal down because they're clever. They're a clever team. And then the other thing that made me think, here we go, was uh, Brandon Matera running in and missing a shot. And then I think uh, Walters might have missed one. And I thought, ah, here we go. They're just going to fall short, missing a couple of gettable chances. But I think you've got to say with the Dockers, and I will expand on this in hot or not, they have a tougher streak, and they needed to have a tougher streak too because they were flaky as all hell last year. But they really gritted their teeth in that last quarter, and it was a, a great effort, and eventually um, weight of chances got them over the line with a, a great finish from Michael Walters, who two weeks in a row wins a game with you know close enough to the last kick of the game. Um, I didn't give the final scores there. 11-13-79 Fremantle, 11-9-75 Collingwood. Uh, shared the goals around. Walters, Hill, Hogan, Matera, each two. Dugowie, three for the Pies. And two each to Pendlebury and Reed. Um, five, Brad Hill, I thought, was uh, a, a real key contributor for the Dockers. Hill and Walters, what a point of difference they are. Hill's a star. Because when Hill gets the ball, he's one of the few footballers in the competition that has something in his armoury that allows him to escape from the clamp and the defensive mechanisms that are so much a part of the game. So a lot of times in football, players get the ball, but they're hurried and harried. But he's got the afterburners that makes it takes your breath away when, when he gets the ball. I think he's, um, I think he's a bit tougher than your sort of prototype winger too. He just seems to be tough in the way that he seems to be able to absorb the knocks pretty well. Yep. 29 disposals he ended up oh, with. He was beautiful. We've got to mention Fife. I mean, it's just Nat Fife being Nat Fife, 30, so, 32 touches. He's so strong. I, I can't remember. I was watching the game on TV and there was a very good observation by one of the commentators and that was not just the number of possessions he gets, but when he's in a pack, how he uses his body to shield his teammates to make way, he's a very big midfielder. There's no bigger than him. He's bigger than Cripps. He's just a big body. But he uses that body beautifully to make space, not just for himself but for others, which is why Hill and Walters can profit. And you look beyond that too. Uh, well, Walters, uh, Hill 29 touches and two goals. Walters 24 and two goals. Connor Blakely 27. And off halfback Nathan Wilson I thought was important for him too. Mm-hmm. They beat the Collingwood midfield who had Scott Pendlebury do what he usually does, 29 and 2 for him. Maynard was good for the Pies, I thought, off a half-back flank with uh, 24. But I thought the Dockers midfield won the battle, and in the end, that probably won them the game. I, th- I thought Crazy Ryan was crazy at times, but very important. Yeah. He's 
with that blonde thing of his. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Mac Guelphy are doing the um, the cover of uh, Bros. But he's very good aerially. He's he's a very smart footballer. Langdon, you know what? Langdon gets a lot of the ball. He's a very hard worker, and he's nuggety and courageous. But he kicked a very important goal, didn't he? Mm. Uh, not known as a, a set goal kicker, but forty meters out, really intended kicking that goal. I looked at him lining up for that goal. We'll talk about Melbourne later compared to Wiedemann. And sometimes in the eyes, you know, they're going to kick it. All right. There are going to be people out there that, for whatever reason, picked Fremantle, whether they barrack for Fremantle, whether they're behind in the tipping or whether they let their pet octopus do the tips for them. And they will turn around and say, how brilliant are we? We picked Frio. Well, if you picked Frio, more power to you. Lucky, I reckon. But... Did you pick Rory Lobb getting the better of Brodie Grundy? No, well, Grundy, there's something wrong with Grundy. He limped a bit. Yeah. But still, great effort by Lobb. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I I think um, just a few games this weekend, I've noticed the uh, number one ruckman looking increasingly sore and hobbled. And poor old Tom Bell Chambers today. (laughs) He looked like a... 70-year-old man. But, um, you know, we're getting to that point of the season, I think, where the, the knocks and scars are beginning to kick in a bit. So, and the buy will be greatly appreciated. Yeah, I mean, but this period of a season is a real test of endurance. And I think, again, from a Fremantle perspective, um, you know, if they can sort of get out of this mid-season period with a few wins like that, um, they're very well set up for a very realistic assault on the finals. In fact, they're, in points terms, equal uh, to the bottom two sides in the eight. So uh, a very reasonable chance for them. We, we should talk quickly, and I am going to expand on this in Hot or Not, but the controversy, the touch goal, right. you're quite dismissive of it. Well, I am dismissive because it happened in a period of the game where the score, the score board dictates the game. Now, this was a close finish. This was a game won by Fremantle with a goal with 30 seconds to go. Mm. And then they won a very important centre clearance. Now... You can't just take an incident earlier on in the game and say that should have been six points taken off Fremantle. In other words, Collingwood should have won. Football does not work like that. Well, you don't know what might have happened from the ensuing kicking. No, no but you don't know it. You don't know anything. But you know that it was a close game, and you know that in a very close finish, Fremantle prevailed. And nothing that happened in that incident changes my mind on that. Now, as, as far as the um, execution of the goal review, we'll wait to hear you because you're not happy with it, nor should you be, and nor should anybody be, because we are running, at times, a Mickey Mouse competition. And I don't mean the mind rhyming slang, Mickey Mouse for grouse. I mean Mickey Mouse as in a crappy watch from Japan. All right, very quickly, that ended the Pies' run of seven straight wins. Are we worried about them at all off the back of that? I'm, oh, not, I'm not. Maybe against WA teams at the MCG? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's three in a row now, isn't it? Yep. If you take in, yeah, in yeah, fact, hang on. That's four in a row. Yeah. Because West Coast knocked them off last year as well. So there you go. There's a bogey I hadn't thought of. Come over, (laughs) Claremont. Yes. All right. uh, Let's head up to Sydney for GWS versus Gold Coast. Well, we did label this the uh, intra-club for the AFL's finance department. So um, uh, senior uh, assistant, senior accountant, uh, John Smith is a suitably boring name. He'd be absolutely over the moon by this. Would he? We'd be 7,000 people there, of which 6,000 of them look like they'd been forced in at gunpoint. Wasn't great. Wasn't great. It was, it was empty. It? I couldn't see 7,500. Yeah. There, no. no, there was no one there. No. No, no. There's, there's, there's some issues there. There's some issues there in, in sustaining interest for the expansion sides. But let's talk about the game. 
uh, an emphatic win for the Giants. 19-12-126. 83-point victors over the Suns. 6-7-43. Five goals to Jeremy Cameron. The uh, assault on the uh, Coleman medal continues. Three to Cornelio and Himmelberg. Um, two to Finlayson and De Boer. Um, great game from Cornelio. He was just absolutely superb for them. 36 disposals and three goals, five to Cameron. Um, and we've talked, finally, about their, uh, I guess, their role players and how they've become a bigger part of uh, their team collective, which I think has made them a better team. Um, and a good example of that, the job Sam Reid did on Alex Sexton. This is crazy. It is crazy that when you look at this game, and you ask who are the most valuable players out there for GWS, they are the absolute silk of young talent that was assembled to make this team successful. Yeah, they've lost a lot, but with Kelly, Cameron and Canilio, they have got two Victorians and a West Australian who simply are brilliant. And then they have got two blokes. When Matt DeBoer was told time was out at Fremantle, and GWS picked him up, that was an asterisk. You know, nobody really cared that he was going there. He didn't have a role in such a good team. And Sam Reid has been on their coaching staff, straight playing, filling in, let him play because the blokes like him for four years now. Now, I'll tell you what, Reid and DeBoer were as valuable as the other three. Mm. And they were all excellent. DeBoer... Starting, he kicked a beautiful goal from 50 out. The goal was kicked, and I thought, oh, who's this? They've got another brilliant young player. And it was old Matty DeBoer. Uh, one, um, speaking of, oh, not older players, but seasoned players, I, I do want to give a hats off to Jared Witts. Thought he acquitted himself very well in the he ruck for the Suns M- against he, Mumford. He killed Mumford. And mm. do you know what Mumford's response was? What? To try to kill him? everybody else. <laughs> He's completely out of control, Mumford. It is though... Somebody, surely he knows people are watching him. It's His attitude is, look, I wasn't going to play anyhow. I've come back. I'll play my way. He was sitting on people again. There are constantly fights when he's around the ball. Do you know why? Because he and three opponents are fighting. They, it takes three people to fell him. It's like watching a documentary when the Lions, as a pack, try to bring down a buffalo. <laughs> Like the, three of them jump on him. Well, he paid he paid a price too because he lost half a tooth, which became embedded in his mouth guard. So he deserves. <laughs> he does too much lying on, sitting on, falling on. Well, he was doing the post game interview with Neroli Meadows, and he because he of the missing half tooth, he had a sudden lisp, much to his surprise. So it's not you don't sort of equate Shane Mumford with a lisp. Um, it was quite funny, but look, they're um, they're clearly a danger, as I've said repeatedly on this podcast. Are still are they dependable enough? I don't know. There's no, still, they're not for mine. There's still something in the back of my mind, but you can't deny a uh, a nine goal last quarter finding, and after a relatively even first term, fifteen goals to three. Now the Suns. I'm, I'm starting to develop a horrible sense of deja vu about the Suns because yeah, for all I the promise, well, they've now lost seven in a row. Yeah, I would, I would. And I've the, changed my mind. And the margins, <laughs> the margins are creeping up and up, and they're becoming competitive for less yeah, each that's week. Probably, that's probably what's happening. So the break comes at a good time for them. They, interestingly, I think they play St Kilda. Do they play next week? St Kilda's next game is against Gold Coast, so they. They're two teams similarly plighted. Now, 
in the first half was very competitive. Only late in that second quarter did GWS get a couple of goals. So it was really even for about two-thirds of that quarter. There was a very encouraging player for Gold Coast in that first half. I didn't know who it was at first. Ben King mm. started moving around and marking the ball and looked very good. Mm. So a bit of promise there. Oh, I thought you were just pumping him up for his inevitable move to St Kilda. Oh, to something, join his no, something will go wrong. Back, knowing St Kilda, Max King will move to the Gold Coast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's enough on that one. Let's head down to the Cattery. And it was no, good. Don't say it. Don't say what every every single football person has said. It's no longer impossible to beat here, except against Sydney. Sydney's their hoodoo. They've lost the three, last three games against Sydney, blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure what I was going to say, to be perfectly honest. I'm sort of making it up as I go. Isn't that the beauty of this podcast? No, I'm just saying that how many times did you hear that in the lead-up to the game? A lot. Um, when Sarah Jones said it, I knew that it had been skywritten. Well... What I was going to say, finally, was that Geelong are always hard to beat at the Cattery, except against Sydney. Sydney. That's right. uh, in the end, it was a pretty efficient win to the Cats, 13 7 22 points, 8-2 Sydney, 8-15-63. I was down there sitting on the boundary. It was quite a pleasant um, late afternoon, early evening, actually, for once in, in down there, the heavens didn't open on me. But um, the Swans certainly got off to a good start, actually having goal kickers first, Hawkins 4 um, he's having a great season. Radagalia two, Dangerfield two. Only multiple goal kicker for the Swans was Hayward, and uh, the Cats midfielders again: Kelly, Dangerfield, Duncan. Terrific for them. Uh, Tom Stewart, pretty good down back. Sydney, look, they might have won their their last three times. I felt it was always going to be a bridge too far without Josh Kennedy, and I think that's pretty much how it played out, to be honest. Luke Parker was good for them. George Hewitt had an interesting battle with Kelly. I, I think Hewitt ended up with 30, which yeah. is more than Kelly, but I thought Kelly was Killed a pretty him. decisive winner. In the first 15 minutes, Hewitt had 10 possessions already. Yeah. He was all over him. And, and Kelly made a couple of uncharacteristic errors. Yeah. But then, as Kelly does, he got himself into the game. He kicked a really good goal. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't kicked a lot of goals this year, but they've all been important. A lot of them have been important, difficult goals. Mm. He's so dangerous. I'll tell you, one thing the Cats can do is score very quickly, and that got them going. They got uh, four at the end of the first quarter in a six-minute burst, and uh, they did it again in the third quarter. And, um, look, they're... they're, uh well, not they're the real deal. They've got everything going for them. Their defence has proven itself over a number of years now. We know the roll call of stars in that midfield, and their forward line looks a lot more multi-pronged and, and dangerous. Um, I want to make this point. Radagalia, um kicked a, a, just a sensational goal, one of, the, one of the great pickups. I was looking at him and thinking, if you're looking at the entire AFL playing list now, a bloke who... Has done a bit, but could be anything. Who's got the sort of biggest scope for improvement in their game? I reckon he's right up there. And that pickup, given his size and, and strength and whatever, the nimbleness he showed then. And do you know who, who was on his ginger as he picked it up off the uh, half volley? Who, who was it? Alir Alir, yeah. who is a very mobile, capable defender. But I'm starting to think, and I'm, I'm not sort of saying they're totally similar as players, but I don't know why. I started to sort of think about Anthony Kudafidis, the way that he was this sort of athletic beast. 
And then it just clicked for him, and he became one of the great players of that era. I'm not saying Radical Lee is going to be one of the great players, but I think he can end up being a really, really, really good AFL player. Yeah, and, and super valuable because he can take a turn in the ruck. Yep. And that's what you need. You need a forward who's mobile enough to meet defensive as well as attacking requirements. And if that person can go in the ruck, then you don't have to play two ruckmen. And those teams that have tried two ruckmen do not profit from it. I, I thought this is a good win for the Cats. I reckon throughout the season you want to win in a variety of ways. You know, you don't want them all to be too easy. You don't want everyone to be a grind because that saps you. But I, I thought this was, you know, they were they were challenged and they were pushed the whole length of the game and they just keep kept sort of reaching into their back pocket and finding a bit more. And they did it quarter by quarter. And in the end, I mean, Dangerfield got that goal literally on the siren. So it was realistically probably only 16 points. So a, a narrowish win, but they did enough. I, ne- I never felt after quarter time that they were in much danger. Um, Field. Pardon the pun. And, uh, I, I, yeah, look, they're, they're beautifully placed. They're two games clear, and they deserve to be, at the moment, a clear flag favourite for mine. If you're pressed for time but you would like to watch this game, you can watch the condensed version. Remember they used to bring out those books, like little condensed versions? Reader's Digest. Yeah. Yeah. It's just watch the first quarter. It sum- <clears throat> pardon me, summed the game up perfectly. Mm. Sydney really dominated most of the quarter but they didn't have a forward line that could take advantage of it, and goals were quite hard to come by. When Geelong went forward, and the entries and possession suggested Sydney had the better of the quarter, but Geelong's forward line is full of different dangerous options, and by quarter time, they led by eight points, and to me, that summed up the game pretty much. Just a word on the Swans. They'll be spewing, I reckon, because their last month has been very, very solid. Beaten Essendon, beaten North down in Hobart, um, pushed Collingwood all the way, and they've pushed along all the way. But they're 3-8. You know, it's too late for them. It, I, yeah, I, think, oh yeah, it's gone. I think they're clearly going to be a better side for the rest of this season, similar to two years ago. But um, they're not going to get there this time. There's too many other sides who are decent uh, ahead of them in the queue. So they will rue the day, Finey, I think. At the moment, only limited possessions for this first-year player. But what a player Nick Blakey's going to be. Uh, I was just going to say, the goal that he set up for Haywood. Oh, when in, he, got knocked, he was down on the ground, yeah. and he got up to... He actually marked that ball. Yeah. It was a spoil, but he marked it. Hasn't he got amazing that, pace? Yeah, and you know he's six foot four. Yeah. Wait till he fills out. He mm. is going... You have got the basis around which to build another era with Nick Blakey. Yeah, so look, it's, you know, we're talking about the Swans rebuilding, but there's certainly a few um, uh, shard, not that's glass, isn't it? Shafts of light. I think the tunnel is not unremittingly dark. Green sprouts. Green sprouts. No, only Carlton have green sprouts. All right, let's head up to the Gabba. Another interesting game, this one, and in the end, a 19-point win for Brisbane over Hawthorne, their third straight win over the Hawks, 12 goals, 13, 85, defeating Hawthorne, 10-6, 66, two goals each to Hipwood, Matheson, Cameron and Rayner, Lewis, the only multiple for the Hawks, Harris Andrews, cracking game in defence, Lockie Neal, the ritual, 30-plus touches, Uh, Louis Taylor, um, he's really turned a corner too. I think 28 for him. Um, 
guy who really deserves a mention is Gardner for his effort on Jack Gunston, kept him goalless. And Jared Lyons, uh, proving a great pickup for the Lions. 33, I think, for Lions, including 12 in the last quarter. So, um, once again, they sported uh, their opposition a start. The Hawks kicked the first five goals of the game. Brisbane six behinds. Um, but from, I guess, fairly early in the second quarter, they really had control of play. They just weren't able to convert, which endangered them actually taking the points, but got there in the end. Yeah, it was uh, by half-time. Hawthorne, I think, kicked a goal just before half-time to go in with a one-goal lead, but Brisbane was swarming all over them. So the question was whether or not that swarm had, through profligacy in front of goals, as well as sometimes further up the field, just missing the target. Eric Hipwood, a, a bit of an example of this, um, except he did learn. Good to see a footballer learn. That's what happened. Just before half-time, or on the half-time siren, he had a shot at goal to level the scores. Mm. Uh, it was from next to the behind post. It was the worst banana kick, worst yeah. attempt I've ever seen. Oh, hang on. Didn't you see Mitch Hannon up in Yeah, Darwin? that was terrible as well. <laughs> that was very similar. Yeah. But this was a terrible effort, but he got exactly the same kick later in the game. And nailed it. And he learnt, which is good. Brisbane, I, I tell you, they finished the game full of running, mm. which is full of credit to them. Particularly coming back from Perth. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. On the other hand, Hawthorne, very un-Hawthorne-like, by the end of the game, they were they were like the drowning kid going for his third gulp. What you do you, yeah, to, to Did that. You see, there was something happened right at the end of the game, still when the game was alive, that to me summed up how Hawthorne finished the game. Sicily had the ball in the back line. Oh, yeah, got no. And he got tackled and he just surrendered. It was just like he was on his knees and his hands were free and he mm. didn't get rid of the ball. It was like this is there to there. No, we're gone. Well, I reckon uh, the writing might have been on the wall when they lost Chad Wingard for that whole last yeah, quarter. Yeah. He looked; he just started looking dangerous yeah. at, before halftime. Also, Luke Hodge at the end, how about his professionalism? A yeah, couple yeah. of marks. There was no... When he first played them, there was a bit of interplay with a couple of players. Mm. It was like, I don't know you guys. I, don't, I play for Brisbane. There was no... He's steely... Gaze was for the game, not for ex-teammates. Yeah. No, look, they're, they're going great guns, and, and they're, they're fifth on the ladder. They're 7-4. Um, so they've played half their games. They need, I, I reckon 13 definitely gets you in, so they need six from their last 11. And no. given their form to date, well, you wouldn't back against them. No, and, but I'm going to end this bullshit. They're not everybody. They're not my second team. Mm. After today, they're my first team. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's un-Australian. <laughs> That's all right. It was in China. Um, the, the Hawks, I, th- I think they are, on the ladder, what they are, which is, you know, a team that on its day can really pull out a good performance and trouble anyone. But, you know, the, the wear and tear is taking its toll. You know, a few injuries make a big difference to them now. Obviously, not having McAvoy has been a huge blow to them. Yeah. And you can see the burden on the, the likes of Sean Burgoyne. You know, his efforts alone now aren't good enough to drag them over the line. So um, I think, you know, whereas to, uh, last season we were looking at them going, wow, what an amazing transformation. 
I just wonder if that was a little bit of a, a false honeymoon and, and what you're getting now is sort of what they're going to be for the next few years as the younger players develop. And, right. and look, and they've got some good young players. We've, we've already seen Warple. Um, I think Cousins... has been a bit disappointing this year, Warple. Well, yeah, but Cousins, I think, has gone up to a, a, another yeah, level. No, so, so you know, so again, a side in transition and the future might be quite bright indeed, but um, it's just a bit of a holding mission for them at the moment. There was a very interesting competition apparently held in the AFL this week that no one was informed of, and that was the worst kick at goal for a, a key forward because key forwards in every game were just missing goals. Yeah. From my Doesn't check, that happen uh, every week? No, but this was extraordinary. And Hawthorne's Lewis Mitchell, Mitchell, Lewis, Lewis Mitchell, you can whichever name you want to put first because I think the commentators about split it. Mm. Mitchell, oh, they didn't do that again, did they? Mitchell Lewis mm. to Lewis Mitchell. Anyhow, yeah. Lewis Mitchell... Um, he he missed a shocker. Yeah, well, he wasn't Robinson Crusoe, Fawny. That's a, a rant for another day, I think. Goal Robinson, I think Robinson missed one as well. Well, Robinson wasn't Robinson <laughs> Crusoe. Mitch Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, that's enough from the Gabba. Time now to uh, head uh, northwest up to Darwin. <laughs> and another Melbourne home game in the top end, Fawny. And... Uh, most of them, I don't reckon, have been great spectacles, but I thought this, this was a beauty. It was. It was an absolute beauty. And uh, up against Adelaide, they smashed Adelaide in uh, Alice last year, but uh, the journey further north uh, boded well for the Crows, who came home like a train and just got over the line, 14 goals, 6. And there you go. There's a good example of accurate kicking, winning games of football. 92-point victors over Melbourne, 12-16. 88, mind you, and this is probably the headline of the game, isn't it? At halftime, Melbourne were 9-4. From that point, they kicked 3-12, and in fact, they kicked 1-8 in the last quarter. Chances to a, a host of players, too numerous to mention. Max Gorn missed a gettable one. And Max, the one, again. The one, yes, he's done that before, hasn't he? And the one everyone will talk about, of course, Sam Wiedemann. Um, should have kicked it. He was straight in front. He was 40 metres out. you got to kick them, and it missed quite badly, and uh, that was effectively the last kick of the game. So heartbreak for the Ds. Um, really good effort by the Crows. They were at their worst, I think, 31 points down fairly late in the third quarter. Um, good game from Brad Crouch, who rose in the absence of his injured brother, and a terrific game from Tom Lynch. Uh, 26 disposals for a key forward and three goals. Rory Laird, the obligatory 30-plus disposals. Gee, he's a consistent performer for them. And I thought one, uh, not cameo, but one very significant period was that third quarter finding when Clayton Oliver had been a star for the Demons, but uh, Bryce Gibbs really locked onto him in that third quarter, and Oliver had only two touches for the whole of a third term, even though he finished the game with 34. So I thought that was hugely significant. I don't know whether the Darwin Police... There's actually a show on the Darwin Police. Oh, there's a show on every other yeah, police I like it. department. They are particularly laissez-faire, may I say. <laughs> a little <laughs> a little more liberal in their interpretations of right or wrong. I don't know if a call was placed to them by any witnesses, but Adelaide stole that game. That was a case of absolute larceny. They Taylor Walker played like a busted ass again for most of the game. He got interviewed post-match. It was great the way the interviewer was able to sort of interpret because they just got over the line. 
that his was a valuable and important contribution. My ass it was. He was terrible again. He just gets beaten in one-on-ones and he does not do enough. Jenkins, you could see why he got dropped. He did kick a goal that was valuable, but he's clunky. Uh, Eddie Betts was dangerous. Oh, Eddie Betts' last quarter was was terrific. But Lynch was the man. Up and down that ground he ran. You know, he's such a hard worker. But he also got deep into the fourth line and kicked three goals. Riley O'Brien finished Finito. That'll do. Thank you. No, don't get me wrong. Thank you, Riley. But apparently Jacobs is ready to come back. And Riley O'Brien's ready to go back. Gordon's a hard opponent, but he was getting pants. Petrarca was playing well. Viney was playing well. Mm. Everything was going well for the Demons. They had all the answers. Jaden Hunt took a great mark up in the forward line in the first half. He was dangerous. The new boys, Tim Smith, chimed in with a goal, looked okay. But somehow this team's forgotten how to win. I've forgotten how to kick goals. Oh, they just had so many chances to put it to bed. Yes, Adelaide were coming, but there's... The, there's a certain thing called the time clock. Just kick one or two goals in the last quarter when you're 15 metres out and there's two of you, you know, and they, they're raffling it and the wrong guy goes to kick it. You spoke about Mitch Hannon's reverse banana. Which they uh, got a goal out of that passage. I think Nathan Jones ended up kicking yeah, a goal. Well, but it was symptomatic yeah, of, yeah. of an inability to just put the foot on the throat. You know what? Again, this is a discussion for another time, but we keep going on about the standard of goal kicking. All right, we've been having this conversation for 10 years now, and, and you go to the clubs and, and the coaches say, oh, the fitness men won't let us have them, let them practice for long enough, and you hear stories about players sneaking off and privately doing their own sessions. This is bloody ridiculous. You know, I, I tweeted today watching another game that these guys spend hour upon hour upon hour um, rehearsing you know, where to stand in a zone and, and leading patterns and all this sort of technical side of the footy, and they spend five seconds on goal kicking. And, and there is no more fundamental skill in the game than being able to kick the goal between the big sticks, and it's a joke. There's no use being a key forward if you can't kick the goal. What's your a job's joke? There, your job's there to kick goals, isn't it? Well, shouldn't, shouldn't the key forwards... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you've got to have, a obviously, a decent level of fitness and the key forwards work harder and they go up and down the ground, blah, 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 blah. But if you can't kick a goal, it doesn't matter what you do beyond that. So I, I just right. don't get it. All right, there are two guys in the AFL who are brilliant goal kickers, as good as I've ever seen. At the AFL? You mean working currently, at the AFL? No, currently playing. Oh, in the AFL. Yeah. Uh, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Wooty. Correct. 29 <laughs> goals, two. It well, is. he blotted his copybook. His last scoring shot was, was a, point. a point. He's got 28-3 now, yes. You don't lose a goal for kicking a point. It's 29-3. Oh, 29, is it? Okay, yeah. But, uh, he's, but he uses the... I think Indigenous players use this more than others. That closer to the Phil Cracker, there's not a lot of ball drop for him. That No. You know what the other thing is with him? Oh, here we go. Everyone's got their pet theories, haven't they? What I notice with him when he runs in to kick is he's loose. I, I reckon too many key forwards are so worried what, about... he's out till 4am drinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so many key forwards are worried about, you know, positioning of their hands on the ball and ball over the foot, blah, blah, blah. Yep. But they look tight all right, you know, so when, the, when they're running. You've got to be loose. All right, so my next man is more a classical style, but it is such a beautiful, clean, square-shouldered kick a goal. So you're right, he is loose. And that's Gary Rowan. So it's a very smooth, 
So surely players can look at these two guys and aspire to be one of them, not hold the ball like it's a sausage the wrong way, the guy from Collingwood. Not all these tricks, all these crazinesses mm. running in from long on like Ben Brown, twirling the ball in the air before you kick. I'm sure none of them were trademarks of McKenna or Hudson. Just look at the good guys. The guys with the best record are the best examples, surely. Uh, it's as bad as I've seen at goal kicking. And I, I reckon it, you'll probably see this come up as an issue because there's no doubt it's costing teams games and it cost Melbourne that game on Saturday night. Okay, time to move to Sunday. And, of course, we head uh, down to that traditional uh, venue of Zhengwan Stadium, Shanghai, where uh, Port Adelaide played its third game against a different opponent this time, St Kilda, but it didn't really matter because the result was pretty much the same. In fact, it was even a lot uglier than last year was for Gold Coast. Port Adelaide, 22-7, 139. That is a monster score in today's standards. Against St Kilda, 9-15-69. What is that margin? 70 points, finey. Um, three goals to Robbie Gray, three to Bonner. Uh, two to Ryder, two to Boak, two to Farrell, two to Howard, and two to Butters. Everyone knows it's Butters. And for the Saints, three to Gresham, the only multiple for them. And I notice in AFL's best players have only named three St Kilda players for Port. Travis Boak, terrific midfield. Robbie Gray, Howard, Lysette. Um, seem to be bobbing up everywhere. Jonas, Amon, and Houston. What do you make of it? Not a great deal from our St Kilda's perspective, other than there were mitigating circumstances. No question. They lost two key defenders. When I say key, very important players. They're two halfback flankers, Mackenzie and John O'Marsh, before the game. And the word was that Billings was similarly struck down. They had to fly two more guys from Australia late that's not easy when you need to fly them to China to bolster your numbers. It is a fair road trip. There was Billings and two other players, apparently. Of course, Blake Akers couldn't be considered at all. The coaching staff all got struck down with this virus. Or Now, they were, they were at pains to point out it wasn't the food. Didn't have anything no, no, to do no, with the food, a, they said. No, no, no. It was the waiters. So... <laughs> I'm no, I, don't, I wonder no, what no, it was. No, it was a virus they caught on the flight. Mm. Uh, yeah, close confines in a plane. I've, I've come off planes being sick. Yeah. It's a pretty tight environment. Anyhow, it's, it is an excuse. Once the game was played, there's no excuses. There's no excuse for the ease at which... You, things are easy because at one point, they were 21 goals, three Port Adelaide. Mm. 21-3, they were 1-1. They then kicked 20 goals, two. Now, I promise you, in these days of terrible goal kicking, you're getting pretty easy shots at goal if you've kicked 21 goals, three. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. They were waltzing into the goals. Travis Boak had Jack Steele for company. I hope Jack had a virus because, well, he needed him. Boak killed him. He was great at the stoppages, great out. He's playing back to his best football, Boak. I once tipped him to win a Brownlow, but that was like four or five years ago. He he receded somewhat. Rowan Marshall played well for St Kilda. Look, they named three best players. Nunes had a better game. Ross got the numbers but got beaten. And I thought Gresham unlucky not to get mentioned <coughs> as well. Beyond that, I was sure Billings was off for two quarters because he didn't touch the ball. Mm. 
I don't know whether, you know, but he was supposed to be ill. So this was a bad experience for St Kilda, who once again, whether it's the time spent in Tassie, whether it's the time spent in New Zealand, and now the three years committed to Shanghai, they can make a good proposition on paper look like a nightmare on the field. So is that um, five out of six they've now lost? In China? No, uh, in this season. Yeah, in the season, yes. Okay. Is it going to... Do you think they can recover their poise a bit or is it going to sort of go pear-shaped? No, no, no. They will recover their poise because Mm. I I feel that there were mitigating circumstances here. Honestly, when you're losing players, when you've got a big injury list and then you've got seven or eight players who are sick, three of them didn't play, three or four did play, I think that matters. All right, well, let's... But look, the good news for St Kilda is... Hanbury played his first game for Coburg today quite successfully. Mm. Max King tracked very well, kicked three goals three. There's better, unfortunately, Geary, who comes back, plays his first game back with a with a wound that looks like it was bought from a novelty store, the scar. Mm. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it looked bad. He's going to have to wear tights for the rest of his life. What happened to him for those? It looks like he's broken his ankle. Mm. No. It was so serious that halfway through the last quarter, Alan Richardson... Um, Left a box to go yeah, down he, he and see how he re- was. Recused him. What's it called? When a, recused himself? Yes. Yeah. He wasn't on a jury. <laughs> he should be. <laughs> Guilty, St Kilda, of incompetency. Uh, well, Malcolm Blight famously left the coaching box and the Crows ended up winning the flag that year. Um, we should talk about Port. They are seventh on the ladder, 6-5. I've got to admit, I've got I've become very cynical about Port. I just think they're a bit of a. Uh, they hate it when you use this phrase. I think they're a bit of a flat track bully. Uh, I think they're pretty good when everything's on their terms. I'm I think not, I think I, they're going to be very good. Do you? Not now. Not now. Yeah. Oh, well, they, I mean, they've got the best crop Rosie, of emerging kids. Oh, that he can play, and your little mate Butters. He's oh, everyone a, he's knows. Friggin' annoyance when you play <laughs> against him, but. They've got two guys that are older than them who are rippers. In fact, hang on. Howard and Houston are great. Hang on, Fanny. Just on Butters, I think we probably need to do this. Everyone knows it's Butters. That's me. You're grounded, Rowan. Go back to your room. Oh, come on. I haven't done it for weeks. You know, he always used to get grounded by his father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Up to your room, Bob. It's all grounded. Just, uh, yeah, after he, followed, Why does his father after he call- followed his dad to the uh, White Swallow men's bathhouse. <laughs> Why? Why, Why he did. did he? I know he did. Why does his father call him Butters? Oh, I don't know. What's his first name? What's his name? Uh, um, no, that is his first name. Butters Stotch. No, it's it's, it's Butters Stotch. It's a, oh, I, I don't know. Yeah, they called him Butters. Anyway, I just thought we needed a bit of levity at that moment. Anyway, go on. Because I did mention that a little bit advanced from your friend Butters and uh, I'll say it. Oh, no, hang on. William Drew. Willem who? Willem Drew, (laughs) too, whatever. So, but you know who's who's really developed in good players are Houston and Howard. Yeah, they have. Yeah, I don't think they should recruit any more players unless we can do a play on their names. Do well, you? everybody's Houston. We have a problem if he doesn't market. <laughs> Everybody true. says that, and they used to have Schultz. Yeah, um, but unfortunately, never a Hogan. Um, yeah. So, do you rate them or not? Not this year as a threat, but I think that they've got a great nucleus going forward. I reckon they could. Except Dixon's coming back. Yeah, I reckon they could limp into the eight. Um, but, you know, to be honest, right at the moment, I think the last couple of sides in the eight are going to be cannon fodder. Well, the re- latter says it could be anybody. 
Yeah, yeah, but they won't. The letter says it could be anybody, but they probably won't be very good. Um, all right, I think that's enough on Shang, the Shanghai experiment. Uh, the crowd there, by the way, uh, the official crowd anyway, not vouching for how many actually paid for the tickets, but the official crowd at that game was 9,412. Looked like a... How many of them were facing forwards? Um, yeah, I think most of them. Okay. Um, it was. It looked like a pretty warm day over there. They're saying it was about 33 degrees. And it's a good ground. It is a good ground, and um, but I remember the humidity last year over there was stifling, so it would have taken a toll. How lucky for the AFL to find an AFL ground in Shanghai called the Adelaide Arena. Yeah, amazing. It is so fortuitous. <laughs> All right, uh, I think it's time we left Shanghai and headed to the MCG for the clash of traditional rivals, the Bombers and the Blues. All right, well, I'd love to say this is a cracking contest, no matter where they are on the ladder, da-da-da-da-da, but I can't, unfortunately, finally, because this was a pretty ordinary game. Some excuse, given the uh, onset of rain uh, around quarter time, but not much of an excuse, because it wasn't wasn't pelting rain, and it did stop, and there were some decent marks taken. Uh, beyond that, the skills, unfortunately, not really on show. Some appalling turnovers from both sides. I thought the Bombers got better the longer the game went and um, started to assert their superiority in key areas. But for me, absolutely the key to this game was the uh, complete subduing of Patrick Cripps and a job performed by, um, perhaps, or not perhaps, very surprisingly, by second gamer, Dylan Clark, who, again, finally, I will expand on this and hot or not, but he just came in for his second game of AFL football and played a corker. Cripps held to just 11 touches, a season low. That is less than he was even able to get against GWS when Matt DeBoer put the shutters up on him. And unfortunately for the Blues, um, you, you stop Cripps, you stop Carlton. They just had nothing else really around the contest. Mark Murphy not there, obviously, Hurt them, and uh, the Bombers had some of the usual suspects bobbing up. I thought Dyson Heppel was terrific. Another significant point for Essendon. Um, Darcy Parrish, I thought, was Essendon's best last week in a pretty ordinary effort, and he was great in a traditional midfield role. He just burrowed in, pretty good in the wet, racked up the touches. He did exactly the same thing today. I thought he, seriously, if they play him anywhere other than the midfield as of now, they need their heads read because he was terrific. I thought Mac Guelphy was pretty good. I thought Andy McGrath was pretty good. And they just cobbled together uh, a winning score. And the barometer, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, did it again. He kicks the goal. They win. It happened again. He scored three. Carlton, alternately, up forward, looked overly tall, and they just did not have a semblance of a crummer. I'll say this much, Finey, it's probably not a huge call, but Alex Fasolo is shot. He's shot to ribbons. He just couldn't get warm, couldn't get near it, never looked threatening. Um, what a shadow of the player he was that exciting first couple of years at Collingwood that he's become. It's a bit sad, really, but a really ordinary day for the Blues. They went goalless in two of the four quarters, and in the end, uh, 41-point victory of the Bombers, 11-8, to 4-9-33. You're probably going to beat Carlton regardless of the blanketing job you do on Patrick Cripps, but you're quite right. You want to guarantee, you want to take out some insurance and make sure you beat Carlton, just blanket Patrick Cripps. Yeah. Easy done. There's not much I can add to your expert summary, other than Essendon's forward line was unconventional and... 
not their first pick at the start of the year, let's be honest. They weren't mm. expecting to have Laverde, Langford, McKernan. Guelphie was down there. Begley, who struggles really when he gets the ball, he's just so slow to get it to foot. But they were, if nothing else, very adept at keeping the ball in their forward line. Mm. Whereas Carlton's forward line, it's, it, it leaked like a sieve. The ball would go in there. And it would be back on the wing in the Essendon's hands instantaneously. At least Essendon made it very hard to clear the lines. And through that, you get chances and you win the game. And in the end, they won comfortably. They can draw great store on something else as well. And that is, that back line actually is functioning extremely well. I, I think, I, I like your comment on Parrish. I didn't know, that's the best I've ever seen him tackle, by the way. Mm. But I thought that the back line started to look like the springboard to attack that could take them into the finals. Well, uh evidence of that hooker it's usually Hurley he that does that well. Zone. yeah well he did he hooker sort of did more of yeah. the zoning off yeah. and ended up with 31 disposals that's surely got to be a career high for him and that's I've, a good move that's a subtle change but a very effective one because yep. he's a very mobile big man he is um i'll just ask you this one better you answer this than me they've got the bye next week so they get a ch- they get a chance to uh what they'll beat the bye yeah, no, I'm, hope, I'm hopeful. Um, I once backed the bye to, to beat Carlton two years ago. I took the bye. They get a chance to regroup. Um, they are five and six now, a game out of the eight. Do you give them any hope at all yeah. of uh, making the eight? Yeah. Do, you, look, do you think look, they can four improve? Four of those six losses were against the top four, who are yeah. better than everybody else. They've got some good players out, no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, teams do. It's all about who they can get back on the track, isn't it? Now, mm. I, I understand that Shiel and... Um, who else did you lose last week? They were key. Shield. Stringer. Yeah, they'll be back after the break. Yeah, they will. Okay, well, that's Smith that's won't enough. be, Danaher won't no, be. We know that. But I think Shield and Stringer. Yeah. Well, it's one you've missed it's, who I think is as important as those two. Fantasia. Very important. Look, I'm not saying they can, will make it. Mm. You asked me, can they make it? Yeah. Yep, they can. We'll put it this way. The cluster of teams on that wind tally, uh, are they better than Hawthorne and St Kilda? Yep. But or, then again... They lost to St Kilda. They shouldn't have. Yeah, well, that's, it is a bit of a cluster fun to talk about, though. Yeah, I'm I'm equivocating on them for now until after the break. Let's see how a couple of weeks freshens them up. Last game of the round. Now let's go over the continent to Perth. Well, this is an absolute monstering. I was going to use another word there, but uh, family-friendly podcasts and everything. West Coast did a number on the Western Bulldogs, 21-7, 133.61-point winners. Over, in the end, a hapless Bulldogs, 10-12-72. It was a goal fest, and the key men shared nine. Actually, 12, if you throw in Jake Waterman, because he nipped in with three in the third quarter. In a decisive burst, six to Darling, three to Kennedy, three to Warnerman, three to Liam Ryan. Billy Gowers, the only multiple goal kicker for the Bulldogs. And uh, half-time, it was only an 11-point lead to the Eagles, but boy, did they put the foot down in the third term, finally. Nine-goal, two-quarter, one of the most explosive quarters any side has turned on this season. And the Bulldogs had no way to cope with it, frankly. They added on another five for good measure in the last term and a comprehensive win indeed. Possessions all over the place, 36 to Gaff, 30 to Shuey, 25 to Dom Sheed, 23 to Jetta and Yo. For the Doggies, well, they had a few guys that racked up decent numbers. Caleb Daniel, 34 for them, Dunkley, 33, and Johannesson, 32. 
Hunter, Liber and Bontempelli all with 27. But uh, this was West Coast at their uh, ominous best. And I've been saying for a number of weeks now, Finey, they're coming and they are coming. So what's more important? Because people have been looking for a four-quarter effort from the West Coast. We didn't get that tonight, but what we did get was explosive power goal-kicking in the second half, the likes of which most teams are not capable of conjuring up, even against the most beleaguered of of opponents. So what is more important? Uh, I think at this stage, the explosiveness. I I think that's a really good point, but I think they're putting... uh, Even their, their lesser patches are more resilient than they were. I mean, there's no, you know, they're not getting, say, Brisbane, you know, mowing them down after a five-goal start. That sort of stuff isn't happening now. So the consistency is growing and the patches of explosiveness are certainly growing. And uh, they are very, very much a, a big flag chance for mine again. I agree. The question was almost a bit rhetorical because I think it is more important to be able to show that your very best is dangerous to the point of non-respondable to. And, and this forward line that is much vaunted is now coming together. Jack Darling had a very slow start to the season, but it's not where it starts, it's where it finishes. And I don't mean the very finish with that crazy drop mark last year. I'm talking about being in form, hitting the finals. Uh, so delicious is the prospect of having Nick Natanui added, folded into that team in the second half of the year. Thanks, Bruce. Even I, who were was sceptical about their chances of going back-to-back, could be a con- convert. And no coincidence of mine, Willie Rioli comes into the side and they look better and better and better. You, not, you foretold that. Not, well, not in the best today, but I, I just think he uh, he just gives them that extra level. And Jetta too. I mean, he often gets forgotten about these days, but I think he's a, a pretty important player for them. As well, so yeah. Look at at their best. I don't think anyone can match the level of uh, marking power and goal kicking power among those key forwards. And you've got Ryan and Rioli at their feet. Um, it's a very uh, mouth watering combination. Seeing you went with delicious. Thanks, mate. Anything else for the Bulldogs from their perspective? Obviously, they were competitive in the first half, but if you don't put the score on the board, especially. Interstate at WA, you know that the crowd needs to be quelled, and they're not quelled if you're not leading. And unfortunately for the West Coast, uh, for the Western Bulldogs, the West Coast Eagles were not put, they were not silenced, crowd nor players, as they should have been in the first half. Aaron Norton has been reported. If he's not available, that forward line becomes devoid. To bring Shacky back would be a last resort, but. I would not want to be the Bulldogs without Aaron Norton in the forward line. Okay, well, they've got the bye next week, so uh, badly needed, you'd say. Time to reassess. But can we officially scratch another team from final speculation? They're, Scratched. They're two games out. Well, they're four and seven, which is the same as North, and everyone's talking about North having a shocker of a season. So perhaps we should be regarding the Bulldogs on a similar level. We probably should. Okay. Well, we'll scratch them then. They are officially scratched as a footyology finals chance. Uh, that buy next week, incidentally, the Bulldogs, St Kilda, Hawthorne, Essendon, Fremantle and Port Adelaide, all with the buy as we move into three weeks 
of just six games. Don't worry, though. We'll still be wrapping them up as comprehensively as ever. As we just wrapped up round 11, time now to talk about the highs and lows of the weekend of football. On Footyology, hot or not. All right, you know how it works. I'm starting. uh, I'm going with Fremantle as a hot, a team hot. Um, I thought that was a fantastic win against the Pies on the MCG. And uh, not the first great win on the road this season. Of course, they knocked over GWS in Canberra a few weeks back. And uh, they're they're 2-3 on the road this season, so it's a, a negative record. But when you compare that to the absolute rabble they were on the road last year, they only won one of nine games out of WA last year and the year before almost as bad it was three and seven so four wins 15 losses on the road in that two season period they're just they're more competitive week in week out now and um, I thought they showed tremendous resilience particularly after the Pies well twice really the Pies opened up a three goal lead in the second quarter and then uh, got the jump on them again at the start of the last with the first two goals and they just gritted their teeth and won back the ascendancy in play, survived the potential disheartening impact of a few gettable shots that were missed and uh, eventually prevailed. Brandon Matera got them within a kick and then Michael Walters literally in the last minute won the day for them. So another great win. They're going to get great heart from that. Um, they've got a buy next week, but... Uh, Pretty well set up for the Dockers, I reckon. They're uh, currently in ninth spot on six and five, so the level with seventh and eighth in terms of points. Uh, plenty of home games left. They are an absolute um, very good chance for final eight, which I certainly didn't foresee at the start of this season. I've been a bit of a sceptic, but uh, hats off to them. It was a, a terrific win, and... Uh, I hope that they continue to grow on the back of that. I concur. My first hot is uh, for Reese Shaw. Do I know if he's a good coach? Not really. Do I know whether his appointment had a positive effect? So much so that North wouldn't have won had he not been at the helm. I don't know that. But I do know this, that it's not easy to take over, especially in the circumstances as we have here because Brad Scott was not expected to move on. So he's quickly moved into the position. He's got 12 weeks and it just so happens that their best game of the year was his first game in charge. So a hot to him for not only the performance but what opportunities that provides. No, good uh, good call. Good call. My second hot or not is a not and uh, not for the first time. I'm going with the score review system. Bit of deja vu there you think? Of course, uh, the controversial call on that goal from Michael Walters, which was clearly touched by Chris Mayne. Uh, Unfortunately, they spent the review period after each goal's kick. They review every goal's matter of course, and they looked at the wrong replay, which was whether it had been touched on the line, which it wasn't. Uh, It was about a metre over, I think, when it was touched. That, of course, was the wrong piece of vision. As the AFL today, unusually... um, subsequently admitted uh, the AFL released a statement, but the statement was a bit of a uh, major eyes roll as well. It uh, cited technical reasons. Um, It said the vision vision shown by the broadcaster was unavailable to the score review officer at the time of the review. 
That's what the release said. Um, they then acknowledged that that shot had been touched by Chris Mayne, which, of course, makes several hundred thousand Collingwood supporters go, we was robbed, and I understand that. And that's actually what they said, because they are grammatically inept. And uh, then the last part of that statement said, the AFL will continue to improve the score review process to ensure that all vision captured by the broadcaster is available to the score review officer at the time of the review. I would suggest if after eight years of this system, and yes, we're in the eighth year of it or ninth year of it now, you'd want to have those sort of bugs ironed out. I would have thought that's a fairly fundamental flaw in the system if all the vision that the broadcaster get gets isn't made available to the person who has to rule on the contentious calls. In fact, that is pathetic. And uh, the statement, uh, I won't call a statement pathetic, but to cite technical reasons, that's just code for we stuffed up. So just come out and say we stuffed up and explain that the score review officer wasn't privy to the same footage. I mean, technical reasons? What, what actually is that? And and why? Why weren't you... Um, able to use the right footage not good enough we're in the ninth year of this system and if you continue to improve at the rate you have we should have all the kinks signed out by about 2050 by the way there was also a very similar incident won't get anywhere near the same attention in the west coast versus bulldogs game because clearly bontempelli touched a ball that was kicked by oscar allen it was paid a goal no one cares when you lose by 61 points, so the doggies, their barking will not be heard, but it further backs up you, your very astute uh, reference to the fact that this system ain't working. It's broke. It needs fixing. Again, bad grammar, so accessible for Collingwood supporters. Now, my not is, it pains me because he's a very brave footballer, does a lot of hard work up the ground, but Josh Bruce's primary objective is to kick goals. No question. In a forward line that really only has he and Membry as tall targets, he has to be kicking goals. And 13 and 11 is bad enough. It's not enough. But in the last six weeks, Josh has only kicked four goals for St Kilda. So unfortunately, and he's, you know, he actually had a similar injury to Jaron Geary's after the Melbourne game. He was very worried it would go the same way. Luckily, it was um, it, it went down and the swelling went down. The bruise was nowhere near a serious, of course, no compartment syndrome. But for Josh Bruce, he's a player that has had some highs and lows in his career. And at the moment, he's just not hot. Fair enough, fair enough. I know it disappoints you to say that. No, 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 it's just a fact. I'm finishing off with a hot and I'm uh, very pleased to be able to give this one and it goes to Dylan Clark after only two AFL games, played the first of them in round nine last year um, and he's played the second of them in round 11 this year and it was a beauty. In fact, many Essendon people would say he should have been in this side several weeks ago. He's been very, very consistent at VFL level. There is a knock on his disposal, and um, it's not fantastic, truth be known, but that's why the role that was given to him today is perfect, and it's with uh, it's a run-with role, and it's the sort of player Essendon really has lacked at times in the last couple of seasons. Well, this man can carry it out beautifully. I'll tell you what, if you're going to set a task for a second gamer, um, you might as well make it a, a real challenge. There's no bigger challenge in footy at the moment than shutting down Patrick Cripps, and he did it expertly. Held Cripps to just 11 touches, his lowest tally of the season. Carlton without Cripps is like, um, I was going to say Superman without 
kryptonite. It's like Superman with, with kryptonite. Um, but a fantastic game from Clark. He just uh, he loves it. He loves the cut and thrust and the scrap and the in and under nature of the game uh, today in inclement weather. And he lived up to uh, what was asked of him and a lot more and was a key factor in Essendon going on to a very good win. He absolutely has to and will stay in that side as a run-with player. Well done, Dylan Clark. Good call. My final is a hot, and uh, there's a Tom Lynch who's not hot. Oh, he's lukewarm. He plays for Richmond. But I'll tell you what, Tom Lynch of Adelaide has been and remains a consistent star at AFL level. He belongs in an All-Australian team. He belongs in the All-Australian team this year. Look, he was brilliant against Melbourne. Without his four-quarter effort, there would have been no opportunity for a comeback. He worked so hard creating opportunities to be the hit-up man, running hard, running his opponent into the ground. He's he is very aerobic, but he takes his breaks off the field to regenerate. And then... He had he some weeks he gets deep in the forward line and kicks goals as well. He was brilliant against Melbourne. He's a great footballer. He's had some illness issues and some injury issues, and he's overcome all of those. Forgotten is the fact that he was a nobody at St Kilda that Ross Lyon didn't want to have a bar of. Well, more pain for the Saints because you would go out of your way any of the eighteen clubs to have a Tom Lynch, Tom T Lynch or J Lynch, one of them, uh, on your list. Very good call. And um, we interviewed him uh, last time the Crows were in Melbourne. We interviewed him on 3OW after the game, and he's a lovely guy, a uh, really, really nice guy. So yep. well done. Very pleased to see that. All right, there's your highs and lows of round 11. You know what comes next, Finey. It's time for us to go crazy, a eh, bonkers. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, no preamble. We're going to get straight into it. Finey, I'm counting you in. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, just nodded at me then. Three, two, one, rant. Podcast listeners, a world first. This rant is, in fact, a game, a fun quiz, a little bit of a footy challenge that you can play, and the answer will be on the Footyology website from tomorrow morning. So here it is. St Kilda played in China today or yesterday, depending when you listen to the podcast, in Shanghai. And I couldn't get to the game, but I thought, you know what? As a homage to the game, I'm going to go out for Chinese, have a feed before the match, and hopefully that'll bring some good luck. So we drove around Caulfield, or as the locals call it, Caulfield, ended up in Carlisle Street. Well, there I was, looking for good omens, and I've got to say, it didn't start well. The wait for a table was longer than would have been expected. In fact, we were in a long row of fellow lunch hunters. We couldn't even get a parking spot on the way there, to be honest. Uh, it was a battle. Not surprising given the amount of people that were there and my wife's shortcomings as a parker. But finally, we did get into the restaurant. I ordered the long soup, the egg foo young, chilli king prawns and special fried rice. That's the brown rice, not the white rice. The meal was good, but I wouldn't say the price was a steal. Another bad omen. The billings were savage and, quite frankly, not worth the value. So, given the fact that the meal was overpriced and the Saints lost, if I had my time over and my sight was hind, I think I would have stayed home and had bacon and eggs. Right. 
you got to work out how I, many. I see Saint, what you did there. You got to work out how many St Kilda listed players from 2019 was in that round. Uh, I picked up a few uh, once I cottoned on halfway through. Well, have a go. You can have a go at some. Um, well, why not ruin it for the listeners okay, at right. home? Well, there's a lot. Okay. So I'll send that through to Rowan tonight. Yes. The number and the players. All right. And uh, what do you win? Okay. Oh, I didn't tell you the name of the restaurant, what by the way. It? Jade Acres. <laughs> so. <laughs> Very good. Uh, include Jade Acres. <clears throat> That's the name of the joint. And. You don't win anything, just the pride of knowing that you're as big a sort of a nutcase, a, a football anorak as I am. But a little bit of fun. All right. I'm ready to go. Keep All right. This will be more ranty. Three, two, one. I'm pissed off with TV programmers, Finey. Now, we already know that as a rule they're not big on originality or crediting the audience with even the remotest bit of intelligence. But how low are we going to go before people just switch off altogether? Most of all, I'd like five minutes alone with a sledgehammer and whichever cocaine-addled, ponytail-wearing TV executive decided that even sports coverage had to go the way of every other genre, i.e. brain dead. Yes, sport is entertainment, but does that mean our pre- and post-game AFL analysis has to become a massive circle jerk of footballers attempting to be comedians and failing, comedians attempting to be football experts and failing, bad sketches, stupid ideas, and moronic repartee that would have had even the local drunk propping up the bar at closing time at the Smelly Armpits Hotel begging not to have his intelligence insulted any longer. I was at the Geelong-Sydney game yesterday, Finey, which meant I couldn't see as much as I wanted of Collingwood and Frio, or whilst I was coming home, Brisbane, Hawthorne or Melbourne, Adelaide. So I look forward to Fox Footy's Saturday stretch last night, which last time I'd seen it was a pretty useful summary of the day in football. Well, I don't know what's happened in the last six months, but it's like someone's decided to turn it into footy's equivalent of Benny Hill. We had crosses to commentators at games which had been played doing vaudeville routines instead of talking about the actual game. We had at least 72 gags about the shiny silver suit Dermot Burton wore in Shanghai last year. We had at least three replays of Mitch Hannon's spectacular misfire with an attempt at banana in Darwin, but no look at the next five seconds of play, which actually led to an important Melbourne goal. And the absolute nadir, a hilarious video of Callum Sinclair dropping his guts in a team meeting, followed by a two-minute discussion between Derm and Ben Dixon about who did the worst farts. The sign-off has Derm, Dicko and Sarah Ollie standing around with a cocktail, toasting their highlight of a day. You won't be surprised to hear that last night, none of them went for the gag riders. Come on, guys, we already have to put up with Channel 7's attempts to turn footy coverage into a reality show. Fox Footy is supposed to be for fair income footy fans, but now you've saddled us not only with the exorable bounce, but up the guts, a show so lame it makes bounce look like cutting-edge comedy, and turns Saturday Stretch into a TV equivalent of a desperate country football club's worst version of a pie night. If that's what a TV programmer does, me and a few hundred thousand viewers would like a crack at it. We don't cost as much, and we don't have to resort to bloody fart jokes. You know, that is a really good rant. The first thing I was told when I embarked on a professional radio career, well, one of the first things, in the first day, not that I did this, but I was told certain things you don't do on air. There are a couple of technical things, and they never talk about bodily functions Never, ever talk about going to the toilet or passing wind because people imagine it and it is very off-putting. And I find it extremely, I'm not crudish, but unless it's sort of part of a gag that is 
rarely suitable, but occasionally so. You just don't do it because it's off. Well, I'm not against fart jokes per se. I, mean, I am. Lord, I, well, I am. Lord knows, I've watched South Park for long enough. But in context, Fanny, I just wanted to hear about the games. We got five games. It's not like there was a shortage of stuff to talk about. I, I can tell you, I watch South Park for the political satire, not for queefing. And seriously, that's true. Okay, well, you just mentioned another bodily function, but that will be it. All right, there are our rants. We're just about done and dusted here. Quick uh, thank you to our sponsors again and a reminder of our competition. The competition this week, you can go to the Footyology website for the prompts, is not how many footballers and who are the footballers in my rant. I can tell you there's a lot. It is, in fact, your great wet weather memories, either as a spectator getting soaked, watching a game, on fields, memories of waterlogged grounds, or maybe playing in your own career. Great prize. Andrew's Hamburgers, who we love as sponsors, are at 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park. They are 80 years young this year and also make the best burgers in Australia. I'm willing to stand by that. They've got a limited edition cap and T-shirt for the winner. And we thank Nick Spartels and Build Co. They are builders to the stars. And boy, Nick. Did he give me a brilliant birthday present? Only a builder would have one of these. Uh, he made it himself. You'll get one if you use their and get their services. It's a brilliant mountable herb garden, and it is beautiful. You're you're getting really, really adept and slick at these plugs and and sponsors callouts, Fanny. Uh, I work for SEN. Well, but... I was going to say, pretty soon they'll be ringing you up to get you back because that's <laughs> that's what's most important. All right, thanks to your company, everyone. Hope your side had a win. Uh, we'll be rejoining you, of course, next Thursday to preview round twelve. And whilst I'm still fired up about what I had to sit through last night, TV. Yes, it can be an absolute nightmare watching it. So I thought the appropriate sign-off was this. Watch your heart move.